with uh, Tessa Weber from Cambridge, who will be talking about elementary cursive handwriting in English and Scottish charters. Thank you, Tessa. Thank you, Irene. Um, I should say that although 1250 is my end point, um, treat, I'm treating 1150 a little um, elastically and will be talking about things that really begin to develop around the second quarter of the um, 12th century. Well, this first image is obviously not the handwriting of a 12th or 13th century charter, but I've put it here to act as an example of a child, Amelie from Cambridge in this instance, who has been taught from the outset to write cursively. So the minuscule letter shapes she's been taught are each constructed not only from the essential element, elements that distinguish one letter from another, but also from auxiliary elements that provide a means of linking sequences of letters and which form part of the letter even when the letter is on its own, as in the third line um, where you've got the um, indefinite article A. A still has an entry stroke that could uh, potentially link with a preceding letter should it um, be part of a sequence of letters. Now, the period that my research on the handwriting of documents is focused on primarily, the 12th and first half of the 13th centuries, is the period in which new cursive scripts emerged in Britain and on the continent. And when Irene proposed elementary handwriting as the theme for this seminar, I was interested to examine what evidence there might be to indicate that the adoption of increasingly cursive forms of writing had any impact upon the handwriting of those who'd not progressed far beyond the more rudimentary levels and who were not or not yet very practiced scribes. Now, of course, the charters that I'm looking at won't provide examples of complete beginners um, but <coughs> scribes who were writing some at a very advanced level, but also some who only had a relatively basic level of competence in writing. And I'm currently involved in a collaborative project with historians, diplomatists and computer scientists from Glasgow and from King's College London entitled Models of Authority, Scottish Charters and the Emergence of Government 1100 to 1250. Um, and here is uh, the image is from the preliminary version of the project website that can al already be viewed online and the full version will be available from next summer. Now, the aim of the project is to provide an online resource using the DigiPal framework devised by Peter Stokes and which has been progressively developed for um, uh, new projects, um, including models of authority. And the aim is to display and permit filtered searches of images, digitized images of charters, transcriptions, and translations of some 700 original Scottish charters dating from the 12th and first half of the 13th centuries, 
and these comprise royal, ecclesiastical and private charters from the four largest surviving medieval archives, which are Coldingham Priory, a cell of Durham Cathedral Priory, Melrose Abbey, Holyrood Abbey and St Andrew's Cathedral Priory. Not all of the original charters from those medieval archives, but those currently housed in the archives of Durham Cathedral, the National Records of Scotland and the National Library of Scotland, both in Edinburgh, the British Library and the National Archives in London. Now, in this period, writing practices in Scotland were broadly the same as those in England, but the corpus of charters gathered for the Models of Authority proje project, which represents a very significant proportion of surviving original Scottish charters of that period, together they comprise a more manageable corpus for the purposes of paleographical analysis than would be the case for a comparable proportion of surviving English charters. Well, at first sight, the Scottish charters do not appear very promising as a potential source for elementary cursive handwriting. First of all, a relatively high proportion of them are written in essentially set hands, albeit set hands to which cursive elements, elements of style become sometimes grafted from the late 12th century onwards. However, as one goes through the 12th century, beginning in the uh, second quarter of the 12th century and increasingly as one goes on through the century and into the 13th, increasing numbers of charters are written in informal, and I don't mean elementary by that, informal and increasingly cursive hands. But those informal hands that it that exhibit elements of cursivity do not exhibit the lack of fluency and rhythm that are the hallmark of the inexperienced or inexpert scribe. Instead, elements of cursivity are, in the first instance, the product of a facility to write at speed, as in this example from the 1130s written by a royal scribe. The speed and momentum in his handwriting has led, in a number of instances, to the movement of the pen being recorded on the page. So, for example, two lines up from the bottom in the boxed um, uh, abbreviation REG, you can see that the lower part of the G, um, as the pen has moved between the downward stroke and then moved around to come back from left to right to form the, the broad stroke, um, a, a loop has been traced. And then in the line above, towards the beginning of the line, um, the abbreviation INDE, as the scribe has traced the three minims of the I and the end, he's barely lifted the uh, nib from the parchment, and this has, in fact, led to a slight deformation in the tracing of the N. But this is not an inexpert or unexperienced scribe. From the later 12th century onwards, these kind of elements of cursivity and additional ones 
are deliberately exploited by experienced scribes for their potential as features of style to provide greater visual impact. So here, which is another example written by a royal scribe, the anti-clockwise approach strokes recorded as the pen is moved into place to trace ascenders form elegant loops or partial loops in the space above the headline, as in line two in the um, L of auxilium or the B of nobis, or in line three in the looped ascender of the D of fundata. And the space below the baseline is similarly exploited, exploited in elaborately looped, the elaborately looped tail of G, or in the clockwise tr trace recorded from the base of the descenders rising to make the next stroke in the S and P of um, respondeant. Now, by the later 12th century, such newly disciplined and increasingly cursive informal handwriting is usually written with a narrower nib and a smaller scale for the body of the letters. Visual impact is created by the contrastively tall ascenders and by the elaboration of strokes above the headline and below the baseline. In addition, from the early 13th century onwards, scribes developed a new technique of applying pressure in strokes traced on the horizontal and on the backward-leaning diagonal to produce these um, bulging and tapering um, strokes, uh, which you can see again in the second line in the horizontal uh, mark of abbreviation. And as I said earlier, um, cursive features like, of style like these and the, um, the, the very broad bulging strokes become adopted and imitated by scribes writing charters um, to a larger uh, mod uh, module in the body of the letters. Um, they graft on these elements of style uh, to their essentially set um, handwriting. So all of this handwriting is the work of clearly experienced scribes. By contrast, the elementary or rudimentary handwriting in English and Scottish documents is exclusively or largely set in character. Now, um, Teresa and I think Carlo and uh, Mark showed us um, some of the far more plentiful survivals um, and examples of subscriptions by people writing to various levels of um, expertise and experience. This here is, is a very, very rare English example of a document, in this case, um, uh, the recording of an agreement concerning the issue of the primacy of the Archbishop of Canterbury over the Archbishop of York in 1072, which is remarkable in an English context for the subscriptions involving not only the writing of an autograph sign of the cross, but also the name of the person subscribing is autograph. 
Um, and these are the, uh, the papal legates and um, a number of English bishops. Now, the writing of these bishops, um, as uh, others have said, uh, is not that of the um, practised uh, scribe. But if I've just um, drawn a box around uh, the penultimate subscription of Herfast, Bishop of Thetford, who was known to contemporaries as Herfast the Illiterate, and uh, the latter half of the subscription of Wolfstan, um, Bishop of Worcester. Herfast is probably the least expert of the, um, uh, of the people writing here, uh, in writing his own name, he doesn't uh, write according to the norms in use of minuscule and majuscule um, letters. Um, and it's a hand in which the uh, basic elements of letters are traced in a, in a very um, sort of stiff and imitative kind of way. Um, Wolfstan achieves a higher level of discipline um, he achieves a more even height and, and even spacing of letters and also a greater symmetry in components of, of the letters. But the rather wide spacing and larger sign, the size of the, um, the writing contribute to the impression of the absence of the fluent rhythm of the experienced scribe. But both are, as one would expect at this stage, uh, modelling what they're, attempt they're, they're trying to write on a set hand. If we move forward to the middle of the 12th century, one can find increasing numbers of charters written in informal handwriting by scribes who are by no means beginners, but who, to a greater or lesser extent, have not achieved the fluency and regularity of rhythm of their more expert contemporaries, and, and this is especially notable, do not incorporate elements of cursivity into their handwriting. Um, and I think in this example as well, one can see perhaps a correspondence between the um, inclination of the handwriting and the, um, the, sh the use of very shallow curves, um, uh, a relationship between that and the kind of handwriting one sees uh, used on wax tablets. This scribe, who may be a local cleric from, from Berwick, uses a relatively broad nib and traces each minim with a separate stroke of the pen. As you can see, for example, in the boxed word uh, pertinentibus, and I think Mark showed a similar example of, of that kind of rudimentary tracing of arches and, and minims. He's also adopted the more conspicuous new features of the handwriting of English and Scottish charters of this date, elongated ascenders and descenders, and a comparatively smaller scale for the body of letters but he has not incorporated elements of cursivity. Now, this continues to be the case um, all the way into the 13th century. I could replicate similar examples um, to this. So, 
are the results wholly negative as far as the impact of cursive handwriting upon elementary handwriting in Britain is concerned? Well, the work of a rather prolific scribe, um, writing charters in favour of Coldingham Priory in the um, 1240s, perhaps suggests that the point around the middle of the 13th century may, or the period around the middle of the 13th century, may represent a turning point at which set handwriting may have ceased to be the only kind of handwriting that was the model for um, inexperienced writers, perhaps not the very first model they used when learning how to shape letters, but the model they moved onto after um, uh, grasping the very basic identification of letters. And that the newly emerging cursive script may have become the model in some contexts. Now, this scribe's hand appears in over 20 charters, which are mostly grants or forms of agreement by rather low-ranking um, landholders um, and tenants of um, Coldingham Priory. None of them are of uh, remotely aristocratic status. Um, an awful lot of the charters in favour of Coldingham, I think of the work, are the work of Durham Cathedral scribes. In fact, their hands appear in charters for Durham as well. But I think this scribe may be um, a local from the Coldingham area, just to show his um, handwriting in close-up. So this is an example from... Um, uh, no later than 1245, but probably not a great deal before. Um, a rec record of a grant of one William, son of William of Scremiston, in favour of Coldingham Priory. And you can see that the scribe is writing um, an early version of um, uh, the cursive script that uh, was given the name Anglicana. So... Here we see, for example, um, in line two, the cursive form of S at the end of the abbreviation teres. Uh, in line three, um, ego, a looped um, tail for the, for the G. Um, and we can see the uh, typical cursive features of style at the beginning of that line in the, um, uh, in the approach stroke running from the... Um, uh, the final part of the letter E up to uh, and, and anti-clockwise to come down into the ascender of the L in Melius. But what's unusual about his handwriting in these charters is the proportions of the script. Instead of the small body for, of, that are typical of cursive handwriting of this date, he's written the body of letters to a larger module, so that ascenders are, appear correspondingly rather shorter than usual. Just to um, compare this with, uh, remind you of the Alexander example um, from a, a, a decade or two earlier. Um, very different proportions. Um, now, 
what he's also uh, done is introduced an element of um, uh, a set element into his handwriting as well. He's writing less cursively. Um, if you look at the boxed uh, word in the middle there, um, ad quietabimus, you can see that the uh, minims of the U, of the I, and then the I and the M have all been traced separately. Um, but in so doing, he doesn't seem very comfortable. This is a scribe who I do not think knows how to write a set hand written with a broad nib. He's still writing with a comparatively narrow nib, and as soon as he's enlarged the module of the, bo the body of letters, he's unable to keep a very straight stroke. So um, down at the bottom, um, for example, uh, second, two lines up um, from the bottom, the, um, the name of the witness, um, Gil um, Gilberto de Lumsden, it's actually very difficult for us to work out um, how the minims organise themselves into letters in the, in the word Lumsden, and they all are varyingly um, uh, wobbly or inclined. Um, a second example of his handwriting shows that he's much more comfortable when writing cursively. Here, he writes in slightly different ways in different parts of the document. The witness clause, which begins four lines up from the bottom, is pretty much all written in a more cursive manner, whereas the, uh, the uh, rest of the document is mostly written in a more set fashion, though still using the letter, letter forms of um, Anglicana. But here and there, we have um, uh, more cursively written words even in the, uh, before you get to the witness list. Um, here, for example, uh, two lines up from the bottom and three lines up from the bottom, in writing the names of the witness lists, he seems very much more fluent in his tracing of the strokes. Two lines up from the bottom, we've got um, David de Lumsden, and there you can see much firmer strokes in the minims of, of um, uh, Lumsden. Um, or in uh, uh, Mordington above, um, it's very confident handling of the cursive tracing of the minims of the I and the N there. Um, and then occasionally, uh, two uh, elsewhere in the document, a couple of lines above, I haven't boxed it, but the word um, fidelitatem, he writes the M there cursively rather than with separate strokes of the pen. So, in one further example we see him um, affecting an even more um, splendid visual impression, not only writing to these different uh, proportions and um, in a more set manner, but also incorporating into the visual display um, elements derived from diplomatic middle school, um, such as the, um, in Liberius uh, box there in the middle, that um, these sort of ruching um, feature of style um, 
added uh, below the headstroke of the S. But again, writing in this fashion causes him difficulties. Um, in the, at the end of the second line, um, the beginning of the word uh, Caldingham, he's very much more tentative in tracing the, uh, the ascender of the D. He's not quite sure what to do if he's not doing his usual pressure stroke. Um, he's there just trying to make a broad stroke, but, but it's not executed very competently. And again, at that scale, the feature of style, so typical of Anglicana, of um, an additional um, hairline serif, clockwise movement of the pen, um, echoing the uh, anti-clockwise entry stroke at the top of the L. Again, that doesn't fit on to the uh, ascender of the L very well, and so it all looks a little bit um, awkward and gauche. Whereas down at the bottom, he's gone back into his um, he, a slightly more cursive way of tracing um, the Ds in Mording Tona and um, uh, Alano Day, and the, uh, there his handling of the um, ascender of the D is much more confident because he's approaching it in the usual way with his um, looping approach stroke. So, from all this, I conclude that this was a scribe who never learned a formal set hand, though he clearly thinks that in these charters something more visually imposing is required than his ordinary cursive handwriting. So from the outset, the script in which he developed fluency were the uh, cursive letter forms or proto-cursive letter forms um, that, that are gradually um, becoming uh, solidified as the new cursive script. Now, at what stage he learnt these cursive letter forms, we don't know. But I suspect, or at least I'd throw out the hypothesis, that it was at a comparatively early stage. And I do wonder what other evidence people may have come across from the mid-13th century or the second half of the 13th century for early learning of cursive handwriting as opposed to um, a purely set model that, um, uh, that, that seems to have been the case in the earlier period. This makes me also wonder about um, the, uh, the observation uh, that, that Mark made, or the, the hypothesis that Mark made, about the correlation between the, um, the, the, more, um, the greater availability of paper and of the growing number of non-professional writers and their increasing functional competence. I wonder whether that may be part of the story, but I also wonder, especially when one's looking at chronology, whether the reintroduction, um, after a long period of absence, of cursive handwriting, may, and the, when that cursive handwriting becomes a kind of script that 
perhaps not absolute beginner scribes, but next stage on scribes, maybe le or people learning how to write, may use as their model. Um, whether that also has a part to play in a proliferation of um, non-professional um, writers with increasing functional competence. Um, all of this, of course, against the larger historical background of, um, of, of social and economic and political situations which are encouraging and requiring ever greater uses of writing um, for business and um, administrative um, and all sorts of other purposes. Thank you.